At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, Saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit seedsavinghacked.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Penn Parmenter to talk about her experience with seeds and high-altitude tomatoes. Since 1992, Penn and her husband Cord have been growing food just above 8,000 feet in the West Mountains of the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. With many years of research and development, they founded Smart Greenhouses LLC and Miss Penn's Mountain Seeds in 2013. Together, they build smart greenhouses all over the Rocky Mountain West at even the highest elevations. Their greenhouses are 100% sustainable as they heat, cool, and ventilate themselves without the use of fossil fuels. Isn't that cool? Miss Penn's Mountain Seeds is a small, high-altitude, bioregional seed company servicing the mountain people of Colorado and surrounding areas. As a tomato specialist, she offers over 200 varieties of adapted tomatoes, the holy grail of the mountains, as well as around 50 native wildflowers, along with a mix of garden flowers, herbs, and wild foods. Penn and Cord have three sons, Maximilian, Beauregard, and Wolfgar, who help them in all aspects of their work. Welcome to the show today, Penn. Thanks, Greg. Great to be here. Oh, I am so happy to have you. We have a bit of a history. I taught some of your first seed school that you took, what, back in 2010 from Bill McDormand and Bell Starr? It's true. It was the first seed school on wow. the planet. I wow. was very privileged to be there, and uh, you were one of our presenters. Nice, 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 nice. Well, we'll talk more about that, but I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? 
Well, you know, for one thing, homesteading when you're 25 years old with no money and no prospects is really the story that's Uh, what you know a lot of us really want to do and um that's what we did and no running water no electricity raw land we had a 30-foot vintage 1960s camper and a wood stove named leroy and three (laughs) feet of snow with everyone telling us no Uh all the things we could not do we moved on to our 43 acres and that very spring with no water started our first garden bed wow. and started growing our food and 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 that's what started we just are a family on a mountain you know we started making babies we started expanding everyone telling us no none of this would work you can't <laughs> grow a tomato you can't grow any of this stuff heartbreak failure all that stuff they told us and instead a really interesting thing happened because my neighbor uh-huh. uh goes down to taos to attend llama for, she's a, for a Buddhist retreat, and she right. came back with Bill McDormand's earliest catalog when he was still high altitude gardens. Wow. And it was just a printed piece of, you know, packet of paper, uh-huh. just black and white paper, and it listed off these things. And she said, well, this is for high altitude gardens, and we were both starting at the same time, and, and I said, let me borrow that. And we made, both made our first orders from Bill and he'd only gone to Siberia to get seed in 89, and we right. were getting from him in 92. 92, wow. And we had wonderful success because we started off with seed that is four short seasons. It's four difficult climates. Uh-huh. And, and got that wonderful early success that gives you all that boldness that you can do anything while everyone's telling you you can't do this you don't even have (laughs) running water you know we didn't have water for the first three and a half years but we kept gardening anyway and that's that's kind of how it all happened and then you know you just keep evolving and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you find yourself being discovered by the Denver Botanic Gardens and somebody saying that we know what we're doing and then we end up at a seed school and we learn about seed saving which changed our lives and Uh changed our garden experience tremendously and did all the things that they said we couldn't and (laughs) the tomato being the holy grail of the mountains is a red tomato i mean it is was the thing that really got me so now i have 200 varieties offered on my on my small seed line (laughs) is that all i'm not gonna say take no for an answer yeah is that all Come on, really? There's, Get with it. <laughs> there's more. Wow. wow. But that's so, just, just a little, uh, a, a little beginning. But yeah. that's that was the spirit of how we started this place. We built everything here ourselves. We learned. We did. That we just did it. Yeah. Well, wow. you said that seed saving changed your life. What do you mean by that? Well, you know. There were so many things I didn't understand about seeds, mm-hmm. and the little bit of dabbling I did with any seed saving, I, I actually didn't believe in that seed. I didn't think it would work. I thought it would be broken because, well, you know, you've got to get it from a professional or something. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. never really dabbled with it. And then when Bill, when we actually you know, met with Bill and, and, and we helped him with his going to seed tour at, at, when he came to Colorado, and then we all ended up at seed school and it just opened up a world that we have forgotten and our gardening you know since world war ii we don't save our own seed anymore 
Right. And that is an integral part of the system, and it is already happening. And we just sort of put it away and put it aside because we can just go down and, and buy some new packets. And that understanding that we had cut out this integral part to our survival out of our gardening and our food, our, 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 the entire food world, was, was so amazing to me. And that all I had to do was pick that back up. Mm-hmm. And I was back mm-hmm. in the system of total sustainability because there is nothing more sustainable than a seed, right? right? I mean, we can all say the word, but the seed actually does it. Yeah. It actually is completely sustainable. And, uh, and that was stunning. When we came home from seed school, we collected about 10 pounds of seed out of our garden that we would have put in the compost. Oh, my gosh. Because we just... Right? Are we gonna? We just go get some more seed. Right. That's how our culture is. Yes. And and that understanding of the power that you have with your own seed, and that you are producing your own survival, your own seed to, to feed yourself, to to heal yourself, right there in this simple act that we were doing all along anyway, and we didn't get it, we missed it, and now you know. Now I'm on I'm on the seed train. You know, people think the food movement's on, but the seed movement is what's really, you know, that's what begins it all. Without right. the seed, you know, what are we going to do? So yeah. it was really, really opened my eyes. But it's been the funnest thing ever, too. I really did become addicted to it. It's a kick in the pants, nice. Greg. It's a kick in the pants because nice. as soon as you start saving seed, you're so into it. It's so fun. You uh-huh. get so much back. Right that you are like, like okay, I, I, now I'm going to try a more difficult variety or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand my horizons, and yeah. it's so fun. And, and you just get jazzed by it. <laughs> I can tell. You're jazzed yeah, today. Nothing has <laughs> jazzed me in the gardening world like seed. Oh. Uh, it, is, it is super fun. Nice. Never lets you down. So what happens to a seed as it's saved over time in your space? So why, why shouldn't I just go, you know, and get a new packet of seeds every year? Well, for one thing, you're in Phoenix, which I definitely would put in the list of extreme growing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're extreme growing. We're at 8,000 feet in the Rockies. Mm-hmm. And anywhere that it's extreme growing, you know, really, um, seed and all plants and all seed adapt to wherever they're grown. Mm-hmm. And, and we know this over time, obviously. But even with vegetable seeds and with your food, just the simple act of growing it out on site and saving the seed and reusing that seed from that site, seed carries the information with it. It brings it into the next generation. So it's learned, and then it stores that information, and then it, it, it uses it in the next season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as Bill McDormand will tell us, you know, not only is it self-replicating, but it's got an adaptation system built in. Oh, right. Which there's no other thing on Earth that does that. I mean, humans do that. Living things do that. So we adapt. So for us up at 8,000 feet, for you where it's 115 in the summer, how can you grow a tomato when it can't pollinate in that heat? Right. Adapted tomatoes mm-hmm. will do better for Phoenix. So anybody who's saving their seed in Phoenix is contributing to that plant, overcoming those extremes. So for us in the mountains at 8,000 feet with everyone telling us no, uh-huh. and the fact that the entire mountain region is left out of the horticultural world 
There is no zone for us. There is no true zone because it's different. It, mountain ranges are different. It, where they are on the planet makes it different. It's mm-hmm. very unique. And so seed adaptation, bioregional seed is key for us in extreme climates. And that's the biggest thing for me is the mountain people don't have any seed. There is no seed for us. Bill right. McDormand's seed company was it. Uh, used to be High Altitude Gardens, is now Seeds Trust. So th- that was, thank goodness, we started with that. Right. Because like I said, that really set us off on the right note. But now understanding the power and seeing how quickly the plants have responded, mm-hmm. that part blew me away even more because you think this is going to take 50 years. It happens right away. The first year, you see differences. The, the first year, the seed, just the germination rates and the vigor of your seedlings will blow your mind. Wow. And then how they perform in the garden is already so much better. So immediately start saving your seeds, you get immediate results. So, so you know, it, it, it's powerful. It's fun, too. So you're I think te- I said that. Yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> Bring it on. I love that. So you're saying that the seeds that I save out of my yard and then plant again next year are going to start adapting to the space that is my yard. They already have. That's right. They've stored that information by getting through one Phoenix summer Uh or whatever that delivered. And in Colorado, the the weather changes all the time. We don't have the same summer every year. It's, it's different every single minute. So everything that that seed can learn when I have five years of saving the seed and using the fresh seed then on the fifth year, Uh now that tomato has experienced a cool summer, a hot summer, a windy summer, all of the things that can accumulate and it's accumulating this information. So now in six summers, it's ready to handle quite a few more things right. <laughs> that could be thrown at it, but it will learn your place on the planet and it will respond to that place on the planet and, and get stronger and more vigorous. And it's a really beautiful thing to see. It, it really does work. It really nice. does. Nice. So, so the become, the seeds become better over time. Absolutely. Stronger, more vigorous. The opposite of what I thought. I thought I'd probably done something wrong and broke them. You know, like by even, (laughs) like I'm sure there's some more science behind this that I need, that I don't know, you know. And now I, you know, it's hard for me to walk by a public building without eyeing their echinacea stand. You know, like, (laughs) like, look at that seed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you you it's mentioned really the cool. word a little while ago. Short. They're the words short season. Mm-hmm. What's that mean? Well, for gardeners, you have a certain length of time before between frost dates. Mm-hmm. And for us up in the mountains, we are very lucky to have ninety days, and that's from June first to September first without a freeze that will set you know actually kill your plants. You right. might get a few frosts, but we're talking a real freeze. So. It's changing all the time, and of course, you know, things. we've experienced three incredibly warm winters, mm-hmm. and, and so we have been benefiting in September to finish out some of our crops where we couldn't before. We have to bring them in and ripen them if they're not done in 90 days, all right. which is another reason for that adaptation. A pumpkin that Bill McDormand offered for years, which is no longer on the market, um, we ended up having some of the last seed of it when he ran out, and we've started growing this pumpkin. And it's a full-size pumpkin. We grow it in the open 
at 8,000 feet, and in six years, it has now gotten to about 15 pounds instead of about the size of your head, and turning orange on the vine, which is something we've never seen before. In 90 days. In under 90 days, absolutely. And it is a 90-day pumpkin, but that doesn't mean much up here. Okay, you don't want, you you know, you want things as soon, as early as possible. If you can get, you know, an 80-day pumpkin, that's even better because you right. may not have 90 days. And it's first just coming on at that point. So the, the shortest season varieties you can find for extreme growing is all the better because stuff can happen. Hailstorms, right. windstorms, right. things that will just take out the whole garden. And that pumpkin, like seeing that, that see how that, pumpkin learn to survive, learn to get finished faster, mm-hmm. learn the environment. And, and now we, they're not all orange, but just to even have some orange happening is really remarkable. Yeah. So it's September 1st, we're watching the weather every day, and it could freeze and then be warm again for a month, and we can extend that season, but it's probably going to freeze, you know, in early September and take us out wow. and then be warm again. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So for those listeners that don't really understand this whole notion of short season or long season, give us an, give us an idea of what the shortest might be and what the longest might be. Okay, well, you know, like for us, we're always looking for short season varieties, but a winter squash is often 120 days. Some of them are 140 days. You know, flint corns and, and certain corns, are to get them to be dry on the cob, are, can be 140 days. That's an extremely long season where you are, I'm sure, although you have that heat spike in the middle of summer, which right. changes things. I know there's a lot of growing before and after exactly. the heat of the summer. Yeah. But 120 days is very long. You know, 80 days for a winter squash is about the shortest you can get. Uh-huh. So anything I'm looking for, for me, um, you know, is, is leaning towards the short season. Um, I do, we do have these remarkable greenhouses uh, that I can grow year-round, so I can grow the longer season things in those. But out in the garden, where I want adaptation and strength and bigger, mm-hmm. that is where I'm always going for short season. So a tomato in particular, a short season tomato is 50 to 65 days wow. in there. But a long season tomato is 90 days. Mm. Those are your brandy wines and San Marzano's, and the, the, they're big, often bigger. Um, an early great tomato is very hard to find, which is what sent Bill McDormand to Siberia in 89 right. to find the best-tasting tomatoes <laughs> in the world yeah. and the fastest tomatoes in the world and brought them home and set them on the American market, which was this great gift he gave everyone. Yeah. Um, and, and those seeds coming from Siberia to the Rockies, of course, are going to do so much better and adapt so much quicker. Mm-hmm. So, not, you know, anything uh, under the shortest season possible, I go for And under 90 days is key for us but again that long season thing it'd be fun if you could grow a cantaloupe or a watermelon that was you know like 140 days right (laughs) we need a greenhouse for that yeah exactly exactly so you took all of this great information and this great data and the great season you put them together in a seed company yeah that happened to me though that's because of bill you know, like he, his magic. Yeah. But he, he, he came here and he said, you, you could have a seed company here. And I was like, are you mad? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're already doing, doing it. it. Yeah. 
and then I've been in the wilderness identifying flowers and plants for 25 years. And it was like, oh, I have all this knowledge. But I never thought about the seed. Right. I just, you know. So he was like reflecting back to me what I could do. And I was just shocked. And so then, turns out, I'm really good at saving seed. I'm obsessed with it. And then wow. I'm really good at seed following me home. You know, like uh-huh. on my skirt, you know, oh, yeah, stuck yeah, yeah, to yeah. my skirt, yeah, or like exactly. <laughs> I'm out of the wilderness, or uh, finding seed everywhere now. Because after you go to seed school, you realize that there's seed everywhere yeah. that we're letting fall on the ground, and then you start to re- recognize that, and you're like, oh. And so I'm running around, and I keep bringing in all this seed, and I began by selling it a little bit wholesale back to Seeds Trust and Bill's company, and uh-huh. I, it, it's, it's not. It wasn't as rewarding for me as a tiny, tiny, small-scale person to sell it wholesale because my hands are on every seed. I know them personally, intimately, first, middle, last name. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to sell them wholesale where you, it's, there's not, unless you're a farmer, a large-scale farmer, Mm -hmm. for me, there isn't certainly a lot of money in, in wholesale seed, but the joy wasn't there either. It was, I want to share these seeds with the mountain people or the people of extreme climates because half of Colorado's hot and high altitude and the other half is cold and high altitude. So we have a lot of similarities for you know, for Arizona as yeah, well. Exactly. It's hot, high desert. Yep. So those plants that can take it. You know, in fact, I've gotten seed from Thunderfoot, who is a, a famous seedsman from Arizona. Mm-hmm. And that seed has done so well for the folks down below who suffer from the intense heat right. uh, you know, in the hundreds in Denver and, and on the Front Range. Yeah. And so that seed has adapted beautifully for them. I started by selling it a little bit wholesale, and I realized that the interaction with the people mm-hmm. and being able to provide mountain seed to mountain people who are suffering and heartbroken up here, yeah. <laughs> those failure stories, and, and they don't know what to do, that gave me an incredible sense of place, and I found my place, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a little niche seed company, I'm going to sell retail directly to the small mountain gardener mm-hmm. or farmer that needs adapted seed. And that has just made me so fulfilled and happy. It's lit you up, I can tell. Oh, I'm telling you, it's a kick. <laughs> Even to do in your garden, just as a person, you don't yeah. have to start a seed company. You know, it's, yeah. it's so fun and wonderful just to do even a few things in your garden. It's wonderful fun. Yeah. So why tomatoes? Oh, well, for two reasons. They are the gateway drug to gardening. Yeah. Okay. Everyone knows it. It, 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 it's, there are porn books devoted completely to tomatoes, glossy pages, double pages sold out. It's bad. Yeah. You know, so, like, they are luscious. You, this is one of those foods that when you have reached success, you are going to smear it on your face. You know, you, that's when you know you have the tomato right. of your dreams because yeah. you just want to shove it up your nose and smear it all over. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that's part of the lusciousness. But they also told me you cannot grow a tomato in the mountains. They will only be little and green and they'll never ripen. Wow. And, of course, that's because we drop 50 degrees at night. Oh, yeah. So they don't like that. They want to stay above 55 
And that's, like, every night in the Rockies can be below 55. Mm-hmm. So we have to learn all these things, uh, you know, to, to combat that. But tomatoes are so interesting and unique and the flavor spectrum and the color spectrum the visuals the plant forms and shapes are completely outrageous they're a beautiful ornamental plant as well mm-hmm. and uh, and you know i grow angoras where they're covered in in white fuzz and 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 they're just, you want to pet them oh wow and 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 little dwarfs that only grow 12 inches or 18 inches uh, that are great for small container gardens but put on heavy loads and they are such a fun plant and you know where they grow wild they're kind of a weed so you know they they give and give and give yeah so you know i just i like everything about them and i liked it that they told me i couldn't grow them and you did it anyways yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) plus i guess the other half of this equation is try and get a good tomato in the grocery store Oh, well, no, they've been, that's all been bred out of them now. Yeah. <laughs> They're not interested in flavor, yeah. <laughs> but even, even the, the most, you know, simple tomato that you buy on the market grown yourself is mm-hmm. going to taste marvelous compared to that stuff that those imposters that they they're <laughs> that pretending yeah. are <laughs> their labeling is tomatoes. You know, I'm always like, I don't think they should be a color somewhere between gray and pink. Like, I think they should be red or yeah. <laughs> orange or yellow, but they're really fun. And, you know, the black and purple tomatoes have tons of health benefits, the cancer-fighting resistance. I just love all that. And yeah. it's, a great, it's a great plant, and it's a great fruit. So there you go. That's white tomatoes, I guess. <laughs> nice. So what other, <laughs> what other seeds do you collect and save and have available besides tomatoes? I mean, we've mentioned some of them, but go. Okay, well, um, my husband is a seed saver too, of course, because we attended seed school together. Right. Yeah, and he's really, he likes manly stuff, you know, like corn and beans and squash, big uh-huh. seeds, you know, and all yeah, that. Oh, yeah. He grows everything. But <laughs> he, he really likes to grow uh, pumpkins and corn. And, um, and so we've had, uh, Bill McDormand has sold Candy Mountain sweet corn for years and years on his on his website, and he, uh, the, the person that developed it, I think, was from Montana, Ken Fisher, uh-huh. and it's a wonderful 73-day sweet corn. Oh, my God. And sweet corn, you know, is this decadent thing that we Americans eat, and it's, it's not the same as, you know, flint corn, corn that you make real corn food out of. <laughs> sweet corn's just that instant gratification corn, right. uh-huh. but so many people love it and miss it and want it, especially in the mountains. They want those things that they grew from where they came from, and, and that's why having a good-tasting tomato or sweet corn at 8,000 feet they're just like it blows their mind so i'm really thrilled to be able to offer that to to the mountain people Mm because there's not a lot of options out there um painted mountain is one but the candy mountain sweet corn is a super sweet it's absolutely delicious and it is getting faster and faster um so that's one thing that we we sell and then some years we just don't have enough of the crop or we have such a small amount we just do a limited supply of it and sell really small portions and that would also be bill mcdormand's kinko six inch carrot which is off the market and a stunning japanese um chantenay that just will grow in any soil in any condition and always is wonderful and we're hoping that we will have just a small amount for this this for the 2017 catalog Uh but boy uh, we brought it in and it was a pretty small crop but um 
it takes two years for carrot seed. Right, exactly. So we don't always have it. Last year I had a cucumber. We are hoping we're, this year we're going to have the pumpkin back. Mm-hmm. So I'll have that northern bush pumpkin. Um, Core did a great crop on it this year. And then I have about 65 wildflowers, wild foods. Mm -hmm. And um, I love wild food because plants are so useful in so many ways. They're food, they're medicine, they're beauty, they're fragrance, they're they're all these things. And if they're resilient and can grow out of a rock, you know, at 9,000 feet, (laughs) then then it's even better. And I like to go after those those really tough, really beautiful plants that I've loved all of these years here in the mountains and uh, didn't know why I was spending all this time identifying them. And now I can go now and you know. and find their seed and, and yeah. know who they are. But um, And I also have some garden flowers and herbs. Mm-hmm. We have a hollyhock mix from the settlers up here in our, our little mining town, our silver mining town in Westcliff. And um, I go around to all those old stands and, and mix them all up. But I just love tapping into the history mm-hmm. of the people who brought the plants with them and um, a lot of them have naturalized and are wild, and, right. and I, like, I like the stories, you know, behind the seeds. Nice. Well, you know, I love it that you know who developed the Candy Mountain sweet corn. You knew his name. Right? Of course. That's <laughs> important. Well, it's an important piece of history here that you're wrapping into a story. Absolutely. You know, he also had one called Fisher's Earliest, which I still think Seeds Trust carries. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm not wrong and send people to Seeds Trust, but that would be something to check out. So his two were Candy Mountain Sweet Corn and Fisher's Earliest Sweet Corn. But Candy Mountain, for us, always did better. Yeah. And so, you have that seed know, available? Yes. We, have, well, we don't have Fisher's, but we have Candy Mountain. Candy Mountain. Cool. Yes, we will have a wonderful load of Candy Mountain this year and also the pumpkin. So really excited about that. And every year, you know, this is the thing. I, I, I don't buy and resell seed from big companies. I grow it own. where it, it lives. And I have two friends who are remarkable growers that I give plants to, and they will grow out a few varieties for me. And I always I say that on my on my in my descriptions where they came from, but those that's the only other place that those seeds are grown, and they're grown in similar elevations and conditions as mine, mm-hmm. and with people I know and trust and are organic. But otherwise, everything we grow, it's it's our hands on it. We have grown it or found it growing at high elevation to to offer to people who live in extreme places. Yeah. Amazing. Which is so cool. Seed is so cool, Greg. Oh. I mean, nothing has... <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, it shows I, everybody up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I've, I've discovered this over the past five or six years is this, this whole notion of lack. There's only one place on the planet that it lives. It lives in hu- the, you know, the human brain. Because when I take a look at, at nature, there is so incredible abundance in nature. And, it's, you know, seeds is one of true. them. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is, this is exactly, you know, there, there's some other people who have published this, but for me too, I've been saying this for years, the biggest lie we've been fed uh, by, I, I would, I will say um, chemical companies. I am not a chemical user. I do not, mm-hmm. I know seed, soil, sun and water grows food. Um, but they told us, you know, that we'd reach critical mass and the earth can no longer support us. I know differently. 
I know differently, and gardeners and farmers know differently, and people who witness and observe the wilderness also know differently. Their food is falling down from the sky. I live in a pinion forest, and pinion nuts are $23 a pound, and I have 35-foot trees and a 1,000-year-old pinion tree on this property that drops the biggest nuts you've ever seen, and they're highly nutritious. And here are these folks up here that don't, don't see them. And, and they don't realize what a delicacy this is and what a wonderful food this is right here in our, our dry Rockies <laughs> where we live. And this food is wasting all around us, right? Yeah. The animals are fat and happy. But it, it, what I'm saying is the earth is so abundant. The seed yeah. is so abundant. It, it can feed the world a, a million times over. Yeah. I, I mean it. I'm not just saying it for feel-good stuff. I've no, yeah, witnessed yeah. it. Oh, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so have you. So, you know it. <laughs> oh, I do. So pick for me. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I want you to pick for me your favorite seed variety to save and tell us how you go about saving it. Oh. I know. Dang it. <laughs> well, you know, it's a tough question because... Of course, it's tomatoes, but the process is kind of, you know, it's time-consuming and a little stinky, you know. Yeah. So tell us how to tell us how to save tomatoes. I will. I will. Although I will say that on a winter's night, uh, with a howling blizzard outside, cleaning some basil seed or dill seed on a tray in my lap Mm. with some music on, Mm. that aroma. Oh. is hard to beat, yeah. okay? Yeah. Um, it takes you, you know, transcends you. But but tomato seeds, it's super fun, okay? And so tomatoes automatically, when they rot, um, begin to purify the seed from disease through the process, uh-huh. which is such a cool thing, okay? So what happens is, um, well, here's how I do it. I cut a tomato through the equator and to reveal the seed the seed cavities. And then I squeeze the pulp and the seed into a jar out of those cavities and get uh-huh. them all out yep. into the jar. And then I let the jar sit and ferment for three to four days. And really the fourth day is the best day, I think, to, to now to let them ferment. They can ferment longer than that, mm-hmm. but four days is the sweet spot. So they will have mold on top of them now. And maybe there'll be a cloud of fruit fries around your head if you have hundreds of jars in your house like I have. Right. But if you're just doing a couple, it won't be like that. Right. Um, and so you have this jar now that's kind of stinky, and it's got some mold on top. Mm-hmm. And that mold, what that's doing is it is, is changing the components of this, the gel that is around the seed. Inside of the tomato, the seed does not germinate in that warm, wet tomato because the gel around it inhibits it from germinating. Mm, right. And that's nature's process is to do that for us. Once the tomato is overripe and begins to rot, this mold moves in and releases and changes that gel and gets that gel off the seed and in, the, in doing so purifies it from disease. So now wow. it's ready it's clean, and the gel isn't clinging to it anymore. And so now the way that you get the seed out of that goo is you fill your jar with water and stir it up really hard, uh-huh. and all of the perfect seed will immediately sink to the bottom of the jar, and all of the non-viable seed and the goo and the pulp and the skin will float to the top. And so then you, this is called decanting, and we pour 
the water off the top of, of the tomatoes, and the tomato seeds are all hanging in the in bottom, bottom of the jar. So now you do this repeatedly, three or four times, and pouring off that crud, and any seeds that are floating are not viable. So off they go, too. Uh-huh. And, and now what you're left with is clean water and beautiful, perfect, clean seed in the bottom of the jar. I throw that through a sieve, and then I smack it down on uh, some drying paper or coffee filters. They All don't right, stick good. to coffee filters, right. but they will stick to paper towels. So I like to use, you know, like plain newspaper, uh, uh, that brown paper, packing mm-hmm. paper-like. Right. Or, of course, coffee filters on the small scale is perfect. And you spread them out if it's a lot, or you can fold it up if it's a little, and let them dry out of the sun. And once they're dry, time to package them and keep them in a cool, dry, and dark place with a steady temperature. That's the most important thing is that wherever the seeds are stored, that their temperature is steady rather than fluctuating. Fluctuating will, will, uh, you'll lose viability faster. Mm -hmm. But seed store is much, much longer than any seed company will ever tell you. So I like to say, oh, my seed will go for 25 years. I don't know that because I don't know how you'll keep them or store them. Right, exactly. But I've been germinating 50- and 60-year-old seeds, and that's the thing. It doesn't all just die overnight. It starts losing germination rates. Mm -hmm. They start going more and more dormant. It takes longer to wake them up. Yeah. But, you know, your own fresh seed, good grief, (laughs) for 10 years, that your fresh seed will be great for easily for 10 years. Yeah. Well, and then every year you grow it out, you get new seed if you want it. And you can get fresh seed. So, and, you and know, it, it, that would be the thing to do, I would think. You want to grow it out because every time you grow it out, it becomes more adapted to your space. Exactly. If you're yeah. after adaptation, then growing it out every year and using the new fresh seed every year is is great. Yeah. But you, if you don't do that, your seed will keep beautifully you know for you it's just not going to be adapting but it will store for a long time and you can still you know make food out of it (laughs) and more seed out of it for many many years yeah i love what bill says he says if even if you have a failure in growing things you can still eat it you still get to eat it it. (laughs) that's the great thing yeah so i have an interesting question here for you let me let me frame out the whole question because there's a a ps by janice she says what does or you said, your question is, what does a typical day look like for you? And what Janice says is, she's been covered in seeds every time I've called. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. It's, <laughs> it's not my fault. It's that, it's that well, in, for instance, today, I have a whole bunch of tomato goo under my fingernails right now. Yay. I, you know, I'm gonna. I, the, the hands on my, the skin on my hands is chapping uh-huh. from the acid from the tomatoes mm. from squeezing. My thumb, my right thumb is blown out um, from squeezing. Mm-hmm. But what's really fun is it started to, the wind started to blow here this morning. So I ran outside to get the aster seed because it's gonna fly today, like All today. Right. Yeah. And so I'm running out there with a brown paper bag, and as I pull the aster seed, of course. It's flying everywhere, so I'm trying to stuff it in this bag. <laughs> I come in, it's in my hair, it's in my eyelashes, it's it, you know. So that's what I, I, I guess I mean it literally, like. Yeah. Oh, got it. <laughs> I can't, you know. And, and the thing with the tomatoes is, with our short season and the ones that I grow outside, I have to bring them in. A lot of them green and ripen them in the house because right. that's the nature of what we do here. They keep getting faster and better, but in the meantime, 
not all of them are going to ripen on any given year. And this was not a good tomato year for us. It was a very, it, it didn't produce a lot of tomatoes. So mm-hmm. I have them in the house, and guess what they like to do? They like to ripen all at once. Oh, nice. So, uh, you know, I have probably 100 buckets to go. <laughs> in the house right now wow. and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking oh I'm getting a handle on this because <laughs> I only have a hundred to go right once the tomatoes are done I'm free to do other things but when it's a wet save and you're fermenting the wet seed yeah. you have to do it yeah. you can't leave it like all of the dry seed that I bring in from outside goes in a brown paper bag and that bag is stored in the seed room until this winter when I can be sitting and cleaning, hand cleaning seed. Right. So that's more of how I do that because the chores in the fall are too much to do all the dry seed. Yeah. But I can't ignore the wet seed because it's oh, going to start rotting. Right. It's got an expiration <laughs> date on it. Yeah, wow. right. Wow. Yeah, so it's exciting. Um, nice. And my family is building me a seed room. And so every time my sons come home from college uh-huh. and they're complaining that they're at the stink and there's no room to put to sleep in the house because of all the seeds everywhere yeah they're like get to work on that seed room men (laughs) you know that's what i tell them (laughs) cool (laughs) that's gonna be fun i'm never they're never gonna see me again (laughs) right 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 well i'm gonna i'm gonna shift on you now and i'd like for you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that fairy and what you might have learned from it Yeah, I, I, you know, I teach this, and then when you said it, it's like I, you know, I draw this blank because I look at everything as a success. Okay, I'll tell you a good failure: fruit trees, oh. fruit trees in the mountains. Mm-hmm. The unfortunately, right now, the nurseries like to tell people it's not possible at your elevation at eight thousand feet, at nine, at ten. It's just not possible. Don't even try it. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell them to buy an ornamental flowering tree or. A, maybe a crab that they're not even encouraging them to use. Um, You know, so it's really kind of been sad because there are wild trees all over the mountains from the settlers. Oh. And that that have adapted, yes, apple trees. And even, uh, you know, we've heard, you hear legends, you know, of the pear tree that grows over it. Yeah. You know, some are an apricot tree that grows at 7,500 feet and all that. So that's, that's great. And getting cuttings from those trees, that's the answer. But when we first got here, along with that same neighbor who, who gave me Bill McDormand's first catalog, uh-huh. um, we started at the same time, and we went and we ordered, you know, out of the catalog, bare root little trees that, you know, up on the mountains, that's not maybe the best plan. It might be financially the best plan, but it, getting a tree off to a good start here is very difficult. So we put them in, we ignored them. We let them die, and we felt bad about it, uh-huh. and we were kind of haunted by it. And instead of immediately replanting, we didn't. We let 20 years go by. And our neighbor has been making pies for years with the same trees she planted at the same time and took care of. Oh. And I think what happened is we, we were, you know, you do that sort of punishing yourself. Well, yeah. I, I failed at this, so I... I I don't know. I don't know why I didn't immediately replant because that's what I teach now is if you, even if the deer came and ate them all, even if, if something happens and they split their trunks because it's 
too warm of a spring or whatever, mm-hmm. plant again immediately. I wouldn't go with bare root trees up here. You need to start with something a little bigger, but not so big that it can't adapt. Do, yeah. do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, There's absolutely. a sweet spot there. But that getting in the way of ourselves <laughs> and sort of like a punishment yeah. that we were doing to our little selves, mm-hmm. that was what I learned is is instead of whining and crying and saying, we left our apple trees, we're so embarrassed, we were stupid. Like, replant! Yeah, we just learned a lesson, exactly. As soon, because you need a long investment of time up here. They're going to grow slower. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a harder time. They're going to produce less fruit, you know, until they get to be older trees. And so you, you, you needed to plant them 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, not today. <laughs> so I, 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 it's with all perennial food, I feel that way. Yeah. Rhubarb, asparagus, all that get that in immediately. And that really taught us, uh, we kind of turned our backs on fruit trees and, and really regret it now. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> what do you consider your biggest success? Well, you know, I guess you're talking about seeds, right? Not my life. You you pick it. I mean, because I, we have these three stellar sons mm-hmm. who do everything with us, and we're, mm. we work as a family. And so this family is is the best thing in my life, you know, yeah. obviously. And, and they're a part of everything we do. They build greenhouses with us. They plant with us. They save seed with us. Their mm. first jobs are working here with us. And, uh, and they're brilliant, and they're kind and good, mm. and... and that that's I can't <laughs> you know that feels I, I, good. And, and then oh yeah and then I'm madly in love with my big old man husband yeah so there is that as well but the, the success here for us as um, living on this land my husband's a master blacksmith we made a living as blacksmiths for many 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 years wow. which is not a lot of money let me tell you yeah doing right. fine art for fine homes and sculpture everything he is truly a master but when we started to build greenhouses and we had built this greenhouse which i know we're going to talk about uh, another time but we built these greenhouses they performed so much better than anything we could have ever believed and having people be able to have a small greenhouse that costs absolutely nothing to run and you can build it out of salvage materials yes that's how we started wow and that has been like to see those people now with those greenhouses and, <laughs> and what they've done with them and, yeah. and, and the joy they feel, that's one of our, our biggest successes as far as work and what we do. Um, and then I also, I can't help it, providing seed for mountain people where there's yeah. such a lack for, for, for mountain folks, for, for high altitude places, that I, it empowers me. That makes me yeah. feel like I'm contributing somehow. Yeah. Wow. Cool. I was three things. Sorry, Greg. No, no, I'm kidding. It's beautiful. I love it. So, oh, but they're so fine, those boys. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, what drives you? What's your big why? Well, we got to save the world. Hmm. You know, and so um, the, the, saving the world means everybody's fed and 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 drinking water and 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 living their life and. You know, I, I do feel that our food is in crisis and our seed mm-hmm. is in crisis. Mm-hmm. And uh, so many people don't know much about what's going on there. But I will tell you that as, as bad or as dark as it can be, the the people who are responding to this, um, <laughs> to the seed crisis, oh, yeah. are 
are doing incredible work all over the, the world and are bringing the seed back to the people yeah. and into the people's hands. And that is a real thing. And, and when we think all of the problems are insurmountable and, and we, we, you know, I hear people say this all the time, how, you know, you don't think you can do anything and one person can do a lot and all of that. I, that is all true. I feel like I'm part of a movement and an awakening uh, that's putting sustainability and living well back in people's hands all by themselves without anybody else helping them. It, yeah. it, it's empowering. And that, that, that drives me every day. Not only for people to have a place to grow food in any climate in any day of the year uh-huh. with no fuel to run it, Right. That's a pretty powerful thing that to feed is, people yeah, with. Um, and then to provide them with seed that will grow vigorously and well for them in, in that climate. Those are, it's heady stuff, Greg. I, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't want to brag on it, I, uh, but I feel yeah. very humbled by this opportunity. I feel grateful to be a part of this movement that is quietly doing this incredible work that's going to save everybody, whether they know it or not. Man, it's fun. You know? Yeah. It's fun. My work is so fun every day. (laughs) And and this part, this is for kicks, but when I am out in the wilderness with my Toyota 4Runner Uh and John Denver singing Rocky Mountain High and I got my seed apron on and I got bags and scissors and I'm filling the seed bags. (laughs) <laughs> I'm driving through the wilderness. It's it's a pretty good job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, when you when up, you said yeah. that's when you shared that story, I was right there with you. Oh, right. Yeah. And I will sometimes say out loud to the wilderness, this is my job. <laughs> <laughs> I pack a little lunch. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. really fun and and uh, really really exciting. So, yeah. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I really appreciate the chance to talk about it because oh, it yeah. can be a lonely business when you're you're just doing this in your own garden with yourself. And yeah. so sharing that seed with everybody and sharing these stories is is really fun for really everyone, important. I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So we should all be so lucky to do something that we love every single day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel pretty blessed. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I feel led by this because yeah. we started Goose Growing a Garden, but then all this happened. Yeah. And meeting Bill McDormand and all of that was no accident. Um, and he lit the fire in us to be stewards of the seed. Yeah. You know, um, really, and all really of us important. can be stewards. Yeah. Really important. Really important. Really important. So I'm all about education. And I have to know, is there a book that has been influential for you in this process? Yes, there has, and I will have to, I will, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I may have to say a couple, but I will, <laughs> Bill McNorman has a very a small book called Basic Seed Saving. Uh-huh. By the way. It's been out there for okay. over 20 years. Over 20 years. Yeah. By the way, when you take Seed School Online from Urban Farm U, that book comes with Seed School Online, so. Exactly. Just, just planting a seed here. Yes, and, <laughs> and what's great about that book is it's, it, it's great for beginners, and it, it's great for the home gardener. It doesn't scare you off. Yeah. You know, uh, and then Carol Deppie, of course, her books are so joyful and so mm. make you feel that you can do anything. Yeah. And she's a scientist, you know? Yeah. A uh, guitar-playing, seed-singing scientist. And, and 
man, you know, th- those books uplift you and, and, and send you propelled into the future. Um, but uh, Bill is where it started for us, and we're very grateful for that little handbook where mm-hmm. we would just look at those first few crops and, and get started, and that, that's where it all snowballed from. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Get started. Don't wait. Yeah. You can take a million classes. You can read a million books. Every season that you're not growing and trying and failing, you are missing out on that practical experience. Yeah. Don't let people tell you no, because they will come and stand in line to tell you what won't work. Yeah. Just start doing it, and hmm. you'll write your own book. It is if we had waited, you know, we started at 25 years old in three feet of snow with no running water yeah. and started growing because we wanted to. We, we, our whole 25 years would have been gone and we would have missed out on all this. Instead, yeah. it, it, it gets started right away. Don't just be a theorist on gardening, on growing, on growing seed. You can grow seed in a pot on your deck in New York City. You can, you can grow seed you know, in your laundry room. So, you know, I, I'm just saying it's really easy and really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Penn. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. My pleasure as well, Greg. You're fun too. Uh, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. So uh, how can our listeners get seeds from you, find, you know, get a hold of you? Tell us. Well, our businesses, you know, Smart Greenhouses LLC and Miss Penn's Mountain Seeds are all on one website. Okay. And so if you go to www.penandcordsgarden.com and you spell it all out, Penn, P-E-N-N-A-N-D-C-O-R-D-S, garden.com, you'll find all of it there. Plans for greenhouses, my seed business. It's all pretty dinosaur. You know, we're folks who hide in the woods up here in the mountains. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely personal, and uh, I try to have a lot of great customer service, you know, because I, I really like to bond with my customers. Fantastic. Um, Fantastic. So that's where we're at. Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash pen. That's P-E-N-N. Also, be sure to check out our second podcast coming soon with Penn to talk about high altitude growing and her greenhouse designs. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit SeedSavingHacked.org. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.